0: The Hop4 podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets, and to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At CharlesFaram.com, brewers can shop, by pay as you go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farums family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana and Opus from their hop development programme right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewer's Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarram.com today. That's charlesfarram.com. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast. Getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. With interviews, discussions, stories and advice from a range of brewers and craft beer professionals, the Hot Forward podcast is here to help you and your beer business hot rocket your way to success. Visit our website at hotforward.beer to find out more. Grab yourself a beer as we crack open another fresh episode of the Hot Forward podcast. Hello, brewers, beer professionals, and anyone out there who is listening to another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. A couple of years ago, my good pal Linda introduced me to Wildflower Brewing and Blending. In fact, I think it was the first beer I tried upon my first visit to Brewery Market, the shop she owns, if I remember rightly. What I do remember is drinking a very complex, beautifully balanced beer that I travelled all the way from Australia to Twickenham, and I absolutely loved it. Wildflower beers are an elusive nectar if you live outside Australia. Not impossible, though, to find them. Do a search online and you'll find bottles of Zabiro, St Abigail and As Good As Gold in a selection of bottle shops, but don't hang about because these beers are highly sought after and with good cause. Wildflower was co-founded by brothers-in-law Topher Bame and Chris Allen in 2016 and since opening have remained focused on making balanced, nuanced beers that are welcoming and nourishing yet fermented with a diversity of yeast and bacteria collected from flowers native to New South Wales. Since discovering Wildflower, I've been keen to get them on the Hot 4 podcast to talk about their beers, their ethos, and how they go about barrel-aging beers of such beauty and maturing liquid magnificence. Fortunately, not only did the stars align, But the time zones also did, meaning I had the opportunity to catch up with Topher to discuss everything from how climate change is impacting beer production, how the brewery overcame an infection, which sounds odd for a brewery focused on making beer with wild yeast and bacteria. And we chat about the hot topic of the day amongst brewers and beer geeks, terrar, in response to an article published in Pellicle magazine recently called There's No Such Thing as Terrar in Beer, which I'll leave a link in the show notes too, definitely worth a read and puts that little debate into some context. I think me and Topher chatted for a good half an hour about the differences and similarities between the UK and Australian beer scenes before we had the good sense to hit the record button. Topher is known to many in the UK and US craft beer industry and is a totally awesome guy. I thoroughly enjoyed chatting to him and I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I did recording it. Before we crack open this truly wild episode of the Hot 4 podcast, here's a word from our sponsor, We'll be back with Topher Bame from Wildflower Brewing and Blending after this short message. The Hop4 podcast is proudly brought to you by Charles Farham. Charles Farham have been sellers of hops since 1865 and hop growers for even longer. They stock nitrogen-flushed leaf hops, T90s and T45 pellets, and to ensure their hops remain in optimum condition, they have state-of-the-art cold stores at their sites in Worcestershire and Yakima in the USA. At CharlesFarram.com, brewers can shop, by pay-as-you-go or using agreed credit terms for yeast, malt, fruit purees and other brewing products. In addition to leading hop varieties from across the world, the Farrams family range brings you Archer, Emperor, Godiva, Harlequin, Jester, Most, Mystic, Olicana, and Opus from their hop development program right here in the UK. If you'd like more information or expert advice, visit the Brewers Resource and FAQ pages on the website or contact their technical advisors for different uses, applications and recipes. They're always really happy to help. Visit charlesfarum.com today. That's charlesfarram.com. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Tofa Bame from Australia's Wildflower Brewing and Blending. Hello. Hello,
1: hi Nick. How are
0: you? I'm all right, thank you. I'm good. Well, it's sunny here, um, which is for the first time in a month. Literally, it's just rained throughout July. I would imagine over there, you're, you're I in... because you're uh, noticed because the Manchester test was was notable because of yes. the rain. Yep. <laughs> so you're you're in the throngs of like winter over there is that right
1: we are we are we've had a really moderate winter
0: it's scaring
1: everyone here because it's been the warmest winter for quite some time i'm not going to say on record for sydney because i can't validate that but Mm. in a lot of people's you know current history mind it's it's been pretty mild and so we're we're, everyone's expecting a pretty warm summer as as you guys are having now
0: so what's a average winter like and what's winter been like (laughs) in sydney so funny
1: so like so we're it's a very coastal climate um i suppose you could line it to like a los angeles um in the sense that we i mean it gets proper oh it doesn't get proper cold here it gets it gets chilly but um you'd always put on in, a, in sydney winter is actually beautiful um highly recommend coming during the winter um if, if you'd like to travel um we have sort of Overnights so of six, five, six, eight degrees, and then during the day, if the sun's out, which it generally is, we we've had some really wet winters as of late, but um, this one's been mild and dry, um, and you have this amazing sun, beautiful skies, and the sun comes out, and it's you know we get up to about 14 18 degrees. So you 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 have a jacket in the morning, and you take your jacket off in the afternoon, and you're searching for the sun. It's gorgeous. Um. For our purposes, brewing, you know, for the beer, at least, we are lucky to live close to a region called the Blue Mountains. So it's about an hour and a half west of us, but, uh, and we gain about a thousand meters just going up um, that that uh, that distance. And up there in the mountains, uh, Blue Mountains, they're an ancient mountain range. They're not like this isn't, you know, the Pyrenees. Um, but we go up to there and we make a we do a spontaneous beer. We make a beer in that spontaneous um um leaving beer out in a cool ship overnight i actually don't call the beer spontaneous so i'm surprised i use that term to describe <laughs> it but in that lambic in that lambic tradition yep. um where in the blue mountains in katoomba you know throughout the entire winter it's minus one zero degrees overnight every single night um but it's 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 wicked I, actually I, my wife and i were married in winter here in australia because i, I love the temperature down
0: during the winter it's amazing anyway Sorry, long story. <laughs> no, and then I would imagine summers are outrageously hot.
1: You know they can they
0: can be. Um, we are quite lucky again,
1: being on the coast. I mean Sydney, Sydney really does have quite a good climate. We we haven't. Um, last summer was really mild, um, and the ones before. I mean, obviously with the the bushfire season of 2020, mm. um, which was insanely insanely hot, um, and the lead, years leading into that was as well. Um, but we've had. We had um twenty one and twenty two were really wet, and then twenty three was kind of a normal, normal summer. Um, so we didn't have a day a thirty five, and this sounds crazy to me. We didn't have a day over thirty five um in Sydney for an entire year, which is really rare. Right. Um, a normal summer you probably have four or five days that are pushing forty degrees. Um, but then again, you know the the uh, you're on the coast, so sun goes down coastal winds come in and they do generally cool it off. I mean, not being a harbinger of, you know, things to come, but, yeah, I mean, we are seeing um, more 40-degree 40, 40 days. And then also that that cooling aspect at night isn't coming through nearly as much as summers go on. As you can hear from my accent, I have lived here my entire life, um, but it's been 14 years that I've lived in Sydney. So um, sort of slowly getting to understand what is norm and what's not but yeah yeah you know. but this is how, how classic how classic we can talk about the weather
0: starting
1: this
0: english podcast this is fantastic <laughs> i i I, um, <laughs> I i was thinking it i wasn't going to say it but i was thinking exactly that
1: <laughs> i mean i could do this for, i could do this for days like i'm completely assimilated to uh, australian <laughs> english culture
0: <laughs> well first you can tell us a bit about yourself how you got into the brewing and blending business and like how you ended up in yeah. australia Yeah,
1: it's a long story. I'll try to go quickly um, for (laughs) the out of interest um, of time. But um, I mean, also before we get going, really too much. Thank you so much for having me on the on the show. It's it's a real pleasure, and I love being in the UK. I have a lot of friends that work in the industry there, um, and I really like it. I really like a lot of the English beer that's being made. I mean, both the traditional side as well as the sort of new wave stuff. It Mm. seems to have this like really fascinating. a relationship with its its drinkers and their places. Yep. Um. And I love how it has that respect to that instead of, um, let's call it what it is in the American one, which is just a rejection of what was. Yep. Uh, in some ways, and and that total one eighty. I think that the that the English beer scene has been able to kind of weave that culture in with their history and with the new wave of beer in a in a way that. I really respect so Anyway, it's great
0: to be on the show. Thank no, I th- no thanks. Um, I think that's really, really <laughs> fascinating. Can I I just want to put pin <laughs> in that and just discuss that actually. Sure, yeah, um yeah, yeah. I you know, I'd never really thought of that before because there's a lot of traditional beers that are still made and appreciated even mm. by your more craft beer types, you know. Mm. Um and I know sometimes you can if if you're into craft beer, like you can just see all the hype beers online, the dippers and other crazy imperial stouts and so on. But, um, you know, I know loads of people that are into craft beer that still really enjoy a best bitter, as do I. I was drinking one last night, you know, we talked to another brewer and it was incredible. And I I said um, to him... This beer reminds me of one of the first beers I ever had growing up. You know, when I was underaged and my dad let Mm -hmm, me try a bit mm -hmm. of beer and and there's something very nostalgic about it. And I do love how breweries over here, a lot of them at least, have managed to retain both the tradition and embrace the, the modern craft stuff. You know they're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater as you just suggested in yeah. the states. I haven't yeah. had the privilege of going to the USA yet, um, mm-hmm. so I'd be really interested to experience the beer scene there for myself. But I can see how there there would be and is a rejection of what they've had for you yeah. Know, and I guess it's not maybe a seeped in history in the same way. that exactly. like the UK beer scene it's, has been.
1: Well, well, the history was there. It just it just got it just got wiped out. Right. You know, in the in the fifties and sixties during the consolidation era in the US, it just it just became very um, conventional is the wrong word, but basically banal. Like it was all the same, um, mm. and 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 I mean that, that that's there are obviously exceptions, but we're not a fan of blanket statements. Um, but in the UK, you had and and I mean in the UK, in the Czech Republic, in Germany, so many of the places around the world. I mean, even in Australia, the Cooper's Cooper's family, mm. you know, eighteen sixty-three, they started brewing, and that's still a family-owned business, hundred percent, and it makes up about four percent of the Australian beer market. It's remarkable that they weren't purchased, um, and they still remain to be to be family-owned. There just seems to be, at least in some of these cultures that had, a, in some places that had stronger beer cultures, potential. I I would say particularly when it comes to like how you drink so you know cascale is so important like that uh, is so important for mm. cascale and so you know um i was just in lewis a few months ago so you go there's like you know how many tied houses to, to harvey's in lewis town probably five or six at least and you could go get the same pint, at best at any one of those and they're going to be slightly different um you can't convert that to the home very well and you never really have been able to um, the, the pine, the pine of ale on cask, um, definitely not through a sparkler down there. Um, it doesn't her to home. So there was always this relationship, I think, between hospitality community mm. and, and beverages. And that never was lost, I think. And I think, I think potentially in the, in the U S being um, we don't have the pub culture. We didn't. I think some people were trying to work on that. We didn't have that pub culture of that like, community aspect of drinking. Very much the same in, in the Czech Republic. You know, that the idea how people pour lager, um, we know now. You know, people are going big on these kind of liquor taps and all these kind of things. The little service of these beers is also part of the um, the hospitality habit. And so, like, cultures that didn't have that connection, I think, were able to be kind of pulled away further from it. And I'm saying this in terms of the US um, with craft beer uh being very much a can phenomenon, I would mm. say in, in the US, where as in the UK, you know, British brewers have had to, you know, the ebb and flows of brewers rejecting cask and then, and then, bringing cast back onto their, to their, to their product line or, you know, <laughs> no, being no very mentioned. bold <laughs> about one of the, yeah, yeah, none I mentioned, none I, and they're friends as well. So I shouldn't, yeah, Mark, Mark Trent is a good friend at Cloudwater, but, um, but, um, but uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, these, these kinds of ideas where you want to push away the old, and even like Brussels Beer project is probably a great example as well. Um, in Brussels, you know, it literally says, you know, let's leave the Abbey onto the streets. So I was like, that was like a slogan of theirs, you know? um. And you have these kind of bold rejections of what, what, how people did drink, and then I think you have this slow um, re um, kind of assimilation with actually like what we had was really cool it's actually quite unique. And let's work with that. And so you have breweries like like New Barns up 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 in the north who yep. are you know like threading this line incredibly well of being modern, but not unapproachable to the everyday drinker at the yep. pub. And I think that that is really unique in the in at least what I know of, um, I think it's really unique in, in the UK beer scene and very much not where the U, where the US one was born. Um and what I do think I see is when I go back to the US is like these modern breweries that may well modern, let's yes, it's post Sierra Nevada, let's say, um breweries, you know, more and more and more, it's so much less of a focus on um, pack and new. It's like these are these are becoming legacy brands, and that's yeah. it's really cool because that's what that's what the UK had as a history beer history, and now we're like the UK, U.S. is building that you know rebuilding that American that history. I mean, you also have beers like Miller High Life, you know, highly carbonated light lager that are in and of themselves like stylistically perfect and mm. and unique. Um, but yeah, anyway, and I, like, I think much goes for the Australian beer scene as well. I would say, um, and you know, not not quite the cast culture down here. Obviously, um, temperatures and um, to uh, play a big part in that, and I mean, history plays a big part in that as well. Um, but you know, the, the idea of the pub and for it is really is really quite big down here. That's where a lot of people do do enjoy their beers. Um. Post-pandemic, even more so, people came back out massively. So, so, so. <laughs> I don't care how, what the question was. So, I'll, I'll,
0: <laughs> so how, how did you end up moving from Texas mm. to Sydney?
1: Well, well, I mean, as the the traveller in Australia story goes, I met, I met a girl. Right. Um, so I, I I came out after school, uh, high school, that is, and um, was travelling, and met my now wife. Um, that was in two thousand eight, and uh, moved back in two thousand nine, and have never looked back. Um, I uh, so I grew up in Texas, uh, in Dallas, in, in city center. Um, dad, dad was an engineer. Mom, mom was a stay-at-home mom and worked at the school. Mom was a really good baker though and a really good cook. Grew a lot of our, grew the majority of our food. And this is a family. Came from my family is five boys and one girl. A like right. big Irish Catholic family. Um, and uh, we still like like mom mom. A lot and always cooked from scratch. And I think that's always been kind of ingrained in me. And so um, I came to Australia, uh, started drinking here. Really, Cooper's Hell Ale and Sparkling which is one of my first favorite beers that I'd always have in the um, in the in the fridge. And if anyone does make it out, like a genuinely, like do yourself a favor and get some fresh sparkling because it is mm-hmm. a, a Cooper's Red. Yeah, I, I genuinely think it's one of the one of the special beers. You know, in in akin to Bass or um, Tim Taylor or you know, or, or Harvey's best. Like it's just uh, I mean Harvey's best is perfect. So um maybe maybe that's that's in another realm. Um <laughs> but like sparkling was great. Um moved out here, ended up doing my university degree here. So I studied um astrophysics. Um so I'm technically well as I didn't didn't finish my PhD so I probably wouldn't shouldn't call myself a astronomer. <laughs> um but always kind of driven by um, things, you know uh, from the origins like um always starting from scratch and mm. hence doing astro- doing physics and um on a trip i had a brother that lived in well i still have a brother but he doesn't live anymore in seattle and he had a really good friend who was a brewer and um steve luke um is, is this brewer's name and steve was like really quite um ground floor when it came to like hops big ipas in West coast, like Pacific Northwest of the U S and, um, just happened to be my, my brother's mate. So I'd be going to Seattle while living in Australia and tasting these beers, you know, like this is like early Elysian stuff, early mm. rogue. If anyone remembers those kinds of things, um, that, that brewery rogue Voodoo donut or something. I can't remember the last time I've seen that brand around at all. Anyway. Um, but, uh, tasted a lot of these beers and was like oh IPA like I like that you know this is really early on I'm, I'm quite young um r- really uh so in you know at that stage I was still underage back in America drinking like really amazing IPA like with really fresh hops um and I came back to Australia looking for the same thing and couldn't find it you know I couldn't find you know, IPA with that kind of Flavor. I mean, little did I know, like I was like sitting in the hotbed of what was the craft movement <laughs> in America and I'd, I just thought that one existed everywhere, but I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. And so instead of, um instead of, I don't know, doing the normal thing and just, just buying and drinking what was around, I was like, no, oh, well, I can make this, you know? And so I had a really, really bad batch of uh, homebrew, like extract homebrew. And then straight after that was, was all grain homebrewing. And I sort, of, um, I sort of just got the itch. Like I was something I really enjoyed doing because um, I could do it on my own. I could do, you know, I'm, I have a scientific background. I could kind of attempt to perfect that process or try to replicate beers that I really enjoyed um, and see if I could make them, you know, clone them at all. Um, but the, the end product is something that was shared. Um, so it was something like I come from a big family, hospitality, community. These things are really big in my life. And it was really lovely to be able to do something, you know, solitarily. It's just like cooking really, you know, you make a big feast up for your mates and you have everyone over and you can just sit down and relax. And I really enjoyed that. Um, And I I mean, I also can't, can't separate the fact that, you know, when you're making beer, you're also fermenting things into what becomes a mild inebriant and um, what, I mean, if you don't overconsume, you can have these like amazing conversations with people. And I've always really loved that aspect of, Mm. Of um what I do and 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 what we've ended up doing with with beer. But um anyway, so I started doing this home brewing to university. A couple of friends of mine opened a brewery, uh opening a brewery and asked me if I wanted to join in. So I said, sure. So I became their first brewer. So I've been I've, my entire professional career um has been as a brewer. I've um, never worked, i worked as anything else really. Um Which is kind of funny. Like, I think there'd be a whole generation of brewers, you know, my age and and probably a little bit older with that. That might be, I mean, in the UK, like, I just got back, was brewing with um, Mark Tranter at Burning Sky. And then Mark had been, Mark's been a brewer for, God, 25, 30 years, you know, at Dark Star and things like that. So, like, that's a different story, I suppose, when you have that kind of level of history when it comes to brewing. But um, it's quite uncommon, you know, in the beer i think world you know everyone's got done some professional degree there's a yeah, lot of totally. it nerds in in beer and i don't know something like that so um anyway i had the full gamut at this brewery i got to do whatever i wanted um ipa stouts or whatever um, i had to be clean obviously um and uh i sort of um like I, without trying to like drop into like the normal kind of brewery uh story of wildflower there were basically two things about the industry that i I recognized that I thought, well, if this is something I'm gonna do for a little bit longer, I don't want to promote these these ideas. And one of them was aggression in beard. Mm. high ABV, high AB, high IBU, um, lots of adjuncts. Uh, these are not things that I really enjoy, and they're not things that like my community enjoyed. You know, mm. I wasn't able to bring home those beers and share them with, with my wife, you know, because she's like, this does, this is undrinkable. And yep. I'm like, she's probably right, you know. Like, <laughs> if you think about that Michler 1000 IBU beer, <laughs> God, whenever they release that, like, that would have been fucking gross. Um, like, I, I probably tried it at some stage, and, you know, you're probably like, oh, yeah, I've got enough hairs on my chest to taste that, but long gone are those days, and how good, like, how I'm, I'm glad that they are. Um, And so, like, one of them, and the other one was uh, regionality, you know, we were making styles of beer that were either born or appropriate in different areas because of taxation reasons or raw materials. Um, and we were sort of, I would argue, misappropriating them for our area, and this is being in Australia. So um, Wildfire was really born into those ideas, making really subtle, gentle, elegant beers, but from simplicity's not not like – Building complexity by taking away those mm. aggressive moments, you know, high ABV or adjuncts or whatever. It's removing those that, that we try to find complexity. And the other is like working with what we have. You know, this is a this is a pretty. I mean, we have the long, like oldest uh, living civilization here in the world. Um, the the microflora and flora here well the flora and fauna are like, incredibly unique and beautiful mm. and verified. um there's a lot of tall poppy syndrome in australia i don't know if i don't know if you use this term in in the uk as well but there's a lot of like put, putting down of you know i don't know do the british hate british film like is it like oh i can't watch a british film because it's like, is it like
0: uh, it's like that in Australia. Not not so much anymore. I think okay. um, I, over maybe the last couple of decades, there's been some really good British films. So okay. m- maybe not so much these days. But I get well, I get I, the concept. Think,
1: yeah, Australia's still in its infancy on that. And like I think in terms of celebrating your own backyard, right? Even that, you know, it was a big thing when Rene Redzepi came here. Um, to do the Noma pop-up in Sydney and was like really pushing native ingredients and lots of chefs. had done it before. Like I'm not, I'm not discounting that, but it was really like, okay, we can do this. Like this is something that is unique, you know, on a global spectrum because some white dude from Scandinavia told us it was. (laughs) Um, But I found the same thing with, with the beer, I think as well, in terms of being like, well, what, what varietals of barley grow well here? What varietals of hops grow well here? And what styles suit our climate. And so the and 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 of course, like you know, for us, I guess most notably, or not, not most notably, but most to the point of what the beers we ended up making, what yeast is maybe from this area that mm-hmm. you know, because we're also in beer, generally importing yeast from other places around the world. Obviously not the UK, it has a bunch of English ale yeasts, but um there's no brewer's yeast on the that you can order. Um, from a yeast lab, you know any of the the big yeast labs that comes from Australia. Um, even the Cooper sparkling yeast they call the Australian ale yeast is a, is, a, is an English ale yeast. Right. It's just like slightly more phenol positive. I mean, like that's where it comes from. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the idea was to sort of celebrate that the diverse the 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 rarity that we have here um, in that way of using uh, native yeast and bacteria forage from native flowers in a sense that's saying well if the flora is so different maybe also to the microflora is and and by giving that microflora a a space to ferment like literally giving it the, the sugar substrate that it needs to do that maybe like i'm not trying to make something completely new like i don't have these like grand ideas of what we do like i'm not saying like we're like you know creating a beer that could have been made 300 years ago or we're like I don't know, um, doing something entirely novel, but maybe we're just like allowing a a, a flavour compound to exist that may not otherwise, because that yeast in that time with that wort wasn't allowed to you know give it space to be fermented by. So, I mean, the, the, the basic precept, that's where the brewery came from, is a desire to celebrate raw materials, you know, grown materials like hops and hops and barley, which William McGuilly, um through wild yeast or native yeast fermentation, yep. i you going to call it. And and through that, making beers that I think, you know, uh, a pretty wide subsection of society can enjoy, you know, definitely not marketing them to a single subsection by any means. Um And I think that, you know, our beers share a lot of, I mean, I'm actually sitting here drinking a cider right now. Um I think our beers share a lot of, flavour profiles with a lot of other fermented drinks, cider, yeah. dry white wines, funkiness of sake. So I want I wanted to do that. You know, I wanted it to be approachable.
0: Yeah, I could definitely see that. I've only had one of your beers once. It was a um or was no twice, sorry. I've had two two of your beers. And they both came That's from uh, brewery market in Twickenham. Um oh, where, yeah. where Lind Linda introduced them to me because she was really excited having like managed to get hold of oh, some. Cool. So I was like um on on the first visit i ever went to there and it's an absolutely amazing bottle shop if anyone's listening to this and you live in the uk you should totally go um but the first beer i had was like this wildflower beer and and i can see all all that's kind of like white wine cider type flavors you know it was really good and then i think she managed to get hold of something else i was like send me one i'll you know (laughs) bye 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 um thank you but but just as you were talking about yeah. the microflora and the ingredients i was going to save this question for later but i kind of feel like it's appropriate to bring it up now okay. there was an article recently which claimed that there's no such thing as terrarium beer to which wildflower possibly yourself responded in with yeah, yeah, a, a, a lengthy yeah. 20 thread tweet and i'd yeah. just love for you to unpack that on here what your opinion on that is yeah.
1: It's funny, because uh, I was um I was just I was literally on the Eurostar heading to uh heading to France. I just arrived in the UK um when, when when Matthew posted that article and and you know all like coming clean as I have in the in the Twitter thread. Um uh you know, I I would consider Matt a friend and um I really like what they do um at, 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 with the podcast. Well of the podcast isn't super active, but with, with the, um, the magazine, the tech, yeah, let's yeah. call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, uh, I, I, you know, we would spent a bit of time together and I am swear we talked about this. Um, I'm pretty sure we had at least anyway, if we haven't, then it's in my mind and we've like synthesized about it in our minds. Um, uh, anyway, <laughs> I was actually talking with Stefan from uh track, um, not too far ago. and I still I still think it's so funny that this like it caused a scene, like this this idea. I know, yeah, of, yeah.
0: Uh... Well, I've asked several people on on the podcast about it recently. Even a, a yeah. farmer who for a brewery where they grow their own barley, and uh, he, mm. he 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 was um he was quite dismissive. He was like no I don't think it does but I'm really interested in hearing the right of opinions because I I felt like I needed to educate myself because up until that point I'd have been like oh yes of course it does then I read it and I was like I'm not sure actually but then I read your your, uh, thread and I was like oh I feel mixed I don't know so anyway you you continue (laughs) sorry you you, you go well I suppose
1: (laughs) what I said in the thread and I like I guess I have I have this issue with terminology um like Hence, why I, I sort of mentioned this thing before about uh, have, making spontaneous beer up in the mountains. And then I went, oh, I caught myself to say, well, mm-hmm. we don't use that term. I don't even use the term wild ale anymore, even though what the brewery is called wildflower. Um, terms like wild and spontaneous and natural and craft, uh, this is what I'm saying in the, in the thread, are like they're inherently vague. Um, Because there isn't, there isn't a, there isn't a a agreed upon definition. And also like, you can always find someone who's going to become more, who some charlatan who is more authentic than you. They're more craft, they're more spontaneous, they're more natural, right? Um, Than you. And I would extend the same thoughts and I do towards the word terroir. Um, Like it itself is not an agreed upon, even in the wine world, Term um, and at the best of times, it's bastardized. I would say, um, and and like like I respect wine so and, and enjoy it like quite a bit. Um, probably drink more wine at home than I do beer. Uh, hopefully, that's okay to say. <laughs> um, but um, but I, I just I just have this issue with with people pointing to terms that uh, other people define differently and using that as a way of usually marketing is usually where that comes from. Mm -hmm. Um, I would just much rather people, and I guess this is the approach that we take. So I'm not going to say how people should do it. The approach that I take towards it, I'll rephrase is it's just to tell people what you're doing and how you're doing it. And they can decide how they like to ascribe that. Um, It's way more difficult for your, if you have a marketing team or for your for your sellers, your retailers of bottle shops to go into why, you know, this certain producer doesn't use these described terms or whatever. Um, and it is a bit more longhand, but I think it's important. Like words are really important. And I think like in indecision or, or um, indecision, but um, or inconsistency for sure, but um, inaccuracy with terms can be really um yeah it it can it can even in things that are as trivial as beer terminology, you know it they have impacts, and mm-hmm. like what we say has impacts. And so um for me to 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 I think what I say in the Twitter thread, I can remember what I wrote while I'm, on the way to Raberry a few months ago, um was just this idea that like why would why would we as brewers pander towards that term? Like why do we need that? like we don't we don't need that like we have our own history we have our own um unique place in the market and also like the connotations with that alone are so um not beer <laughs> um like we make some of the i would say that you know our beer could be put in some of the most like fancy you know um kind of like overthought um Pretentious uh, echelons of the beer world, and I don't want my beer to be anywhere near that. Like, mm. like you know, what we do, want doing because, um, gosh, I don't, I don't know, I don't know why I do what I do anymore. Um, like I love it, definitely, and I like love the celebration of raw materials. Um, but it, it, for me, there is like no other way. It's like this is this is the way that I like to express what what we're doing. Um, I'm not out there trying to make something that someone like you know pours into a glass and just like ponders over for 45 minutes or four goes chatting to their mate across the table um because they're too fucking interested in reading my tasting <laughs> notes like like forget about that you know like it's not really about like i <laughs> uh we always uh, i tell you know people that are at the brewery or you know, like our, our beer gives as many fucks as you do. If, if if you don't give a fuck, I'd love for it to meet you there. Like I really want our beer to be as approachable as anyone just walking into it. I mean, that that's that's you know, take it with a grain of salt, like um there's a there's a big cross section of the world that if you gave them what our gold in a glass and said, Yeah, this is beer, they would probably spit it right out. Um I like, I accept <laughs> nah. that. Um but but um but you know, I do it's 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 never ceases to me. Like it's continually surprises me how approachable some people can find like people who you don't assume will, will find our beers. And I think it's because they just, they just kind of fit something for, for, for people's palates, I suppose. I don't know. Um, and I don't want that experience to be introduced to what we do to become so elevated that it's not approachable. It's not accessible Mm. for a price point or, or some other, some other spot. And I think, this term, this term terroir, um, pushes the beer industry away from its origins um, by trying to to pander to it. In 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 my opinion, um, I mean, I have other reasons why I think that beer doesn't have terroir as well. Like, you know, if you if we're going to take the straight, you know, well, if we were to assume that like a, a, an understood definition of terroir would be like the confluence of uh, climates, uh, weather in a certain year. Um, soil, uh, you know, geography, and expression in the grape, and then the winemaker and viticulture. Uh, well, oh, sorry, winemaking um, itself in the cellar. If we were to say, say, terwa is the confluence of those four things. Let's just assume that um, all of those things happen in a single place. And beer is actually a really unique product, and like in fermented drinks, where it requires the locations of quite a few different places. Mm. There are certainly farms that that grow their own malt, malt it, grow their own hops kiln them and brew on site i'm not saying that's not possible um but usually when we're well even when you're doing that there's such an intensive um manufacturing process from from uh uh, farmed barley to to uh cracked malt um you're then taking marginally mostly water um from which could come from a well and that's really cool um but mostly water and then boiling that and like it there's a number of sterilization processes mm. and the heavy, heavy industrial processes that happen in beer, even if you're trying to make it like super rustically. Um, and I just think that the term falls apart then. Um, and that's not to say that beer can't have a fingerprint of the, I mean, here's me like dancing around terms, a fingerprint of the place that it's that it's, it's grown in or something like that. Um, but to just take the term from one culture and drop it into another
0: i think it does a disservice like yeah i think i'm convinced you've convinced me yeah i um <laughs> I, I i i suppose and I, I i if i remember the article rightly mm-hmm. i think matt alludes to this at the end um and apologies if matt's listening and i get this completely <laughs> wrong <laughs> I'll, I'll text uh, him <laughs> yeah, um but um i suppose if if Terra existed in beer it would be more the experience of the place you're drinking it rather than the actual where the ingredients come from so that the the, the terra mm. so to speak is like how i experienced that beer in one well it's not even terra is it i guess what i'm trying to say is mm. it's um I yeah i i think having the you're not going to have the same association with a place in the way that you would with a wine, because of the, like you say, all those elements of where it's being cellared and the grapes are grown, et cetera. But you're gonna have mm. an association with that beer by virtue of where you drink it. So I yeah. know if I have a pint of um, Loxley Brewery's um, Halliday, which is their best bitter in The Raven, which is a pub around the corner, and it's it, it's not too far from where the brewery is, like. And that's one of their tap rooms. Like, I, I know I'm yeah. going to have the full experience of that beer in one of their pubs where all the aesthetics are right. The whole vibe of, yeah. you know, when you go into the brewery and they've got whatever rock radio station is, they always are blaring out and I go in the pub and it's the same playlist, you know. <laughs> Everything <laughs> looks and feels the same. I'm going to have that immersive experience there. But if I go somewhere else and have it, because what you were saying earlier about how beer is cellared even... Um, yeah. like when you were talking about Harvey's Sussex Best. When you said that, mm-hmm. it made me think of like Shakespeare. So like my wife's an English teacher, so obviously mm-hmm. i'm i'm quite quite immersed you. in a lot of shakespeare yeah, yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. I, I can't quote much of it you know um <laughs> yeah. but i do like a good shakespearean insult um yeah. you know a sparkler on your beer engine um yeah, 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 yeah. that's not an insult is it that's like a, that's a compliment that's not an insult for <laughs> exactly That's a compliment yeah, yeah, yeah exactly yeah. um maybe you're down south but we won't go there yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. but like if you take shakespeare like you can see the same Shakespeare play like The Tempest and it's all mm-hmm. the same words, it's the same plot, the same characters, the same everything. And you can have two completely different experiences by just by yep. virtue of where you go watch it, yep. who the actors are and how they set the stage up, the lighting and so on. And I think that is more what you have in beer. And so I agree with you, I think it's right. Why, why import a term from another beverage where it makes more sense? Onto something where actually it's the experience and camaraderie in and of itself you have when drinking that, and the people you have around you, and the yeah. conversations yeah. you have.
1: No, I'd say you, you, well, I think you have extended on it, and I think Matt would really like this. And sorry, not to feel too much about it, but um, you've extended on that, and I think I think you've actually pointed out what I haven't been able to kind of come around. Is is well? You, firstly, you said the chewa makes more sense in in wine. I think it makes more sense than wine, just because it comes from wine. Yeah. Like I don't think that I don't think that those same ideas can't be brought out in beer, because what you have just described, I think, is that same thing. But how, like, wh- why use the term is is, is the question. Um, how much more exciting and fun and beer is this exact idea of going to your local where mm-hmm. there's people and there's music? and there's other things around and you can continually have this day in and day out rather than this very singular pursuit of opening a bottle of wine maybe with one or two friends i mean one bottle doesn't last you that long right Mm. um that same experience just doesn't translate the same way into beer and i think that that like from wine in like from beer into wine uh that's so celebrated what we can do with beer and you can go down and have these like my best beer experiences have almost very little to do with the beer. I mean, there's obviously going to be an excellent beer at at the end, but it's not the beer itself. That's the, that's the, uh, that's the highlight. It's like, it's that community, it's that hospitality, it's the venue, it's the, and that is unique. Um, and I, I, yeah, yeah, I think, I think you've, you've explained it really well.
0: Yeah. Well, you can't replicate that, can you? And as we were talking before we hit record about lockdown and, All that entailed. Like when people, I don't know what it was like over there, but in the UK, like loads of people installed their own bars, which was always really funny when you saw some of the the posts that got shared on Twitter or Facebook with some guy somewhere that was like, How do I attach my beer engine to this? And it's like a keg. (laughs) And it's like, you know, and they're there, they've got a screwdriver trying to like tap open the top. It's like, You don't don't, make that, you're you're just asking for trouble. (laughs) Um, But, you know, even when you have, if, even if you've got a beer engine at home or your own bar, it's, it, yeah, it's, or, 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 you know, the lowest common denominator, which is just like you've got a few cans at home of some craft beers. Mm. Like, you can't, you just, it's not the same. You know, as much as I enjoy yeah. drinking a beer or two at home and, you know, appreciating the flavours and getting to try different beers, like, it's always whenever I go out somewhere, you know, either with friends or even if I, like, I go by myself, on an afternoon, like Friday afternoon, yeah. two o'clock. I'm like, I've, I'm done. I'm going to go to, like, I keep referencing the Raven, but I'm going to go to the Raven and talk, talk to the, talk <laughs> to the, to, Raven. Talk, yeah, exactly. Talk to the landlord yeah. for a bit, yeah. um, have a beer and then do the school run or whatever. Like, you know, it, it, it's those experiences. You you just can't replicate it at home yeah. or any, yeah. or, you know, it, it, it has to be somewhere else, I think.
1: Mm. Well, and I think that's a uniquely beer experience. And yeah. and a uniquely like, yeah. So I, I, I think I'm just I'm just so much more excited and and so much more driven by celebrating beer um than trying to compare it to other drinks.
0: Yeah. So I'm quite interested in the whole harvesting wild yeast and bacteria from wildflowers. <laughs> like how how on earth does that work? And how, and how does that translate to actually fermenting it in beer and what you get out at the end obviously i know you're blending things like just talk us through that whole entire process it, it's actually like painfully simple
1: right um like anywhere in the wild that there's sugar there's yeast so on the skins of grapes on the skins of apples pears any any fermented fruit like mm-hmm. there's like you look at the blueberries you know how blueberries have that white bloom on there yep that's yeast um so anywhere in the, the wild the sugar there's yeast and and um same too with with flowers with their pollen and trees too with, with their nectars um there's sugar sources there and that's why bees go there and birds go go to those places to collect that sugar um but there's also you know wild yeast that hangs out around those areas uh, and so um i was sort of put onto this idea um by i mean it's, it's not, not not original. Um, by J- Jester king brewery from my native texas um where i did spend some time um, in 2016 um and just this idea of going well like as i said before like if i just take flowers from our area and stick them into ferment unfermented beer maybe we'll capture some yeast and i think i had a probably really bold and grand ideas when i started about like know harboring or capturing or fermenting with entirely novel yeasts that no one else has put into beer and these ideas about like ah this will be the first time anyone's ever tasted these kinds of things which i mean probably is like uh, you know in in terms of what what we do like it's so uncommon um that maybe there are flavors that are not seen in parallel to any of the drinks but um the the drive is different now you know I, I do this from out of practice um mm. and and uh to be better rather than trying to create something new or be this you know kind of visionary um i don't think i ever thought of myself as visionary but like nothing's visionary about it at all um because uh so, so this is how i did it you just take take flowers and you put them in unfermented beer and then it starts fermenting
0: amazing that's, that's it that's I love literally it. It.
1: um <laughs> But after I, after I started the brewery, um, a friend of mine um, and an author, um, Max Allen is an Australian author, booze author, he's a great, great bloke, um, made it known to me that, you know, really what I was doing was, was, was nothing new at all because there are huge amount of, decent amount of documentation from language groups and um, uh, Indigenous cultures in the Western part of the country who would take of Australia. It would take Banksia flowers, which is this kind of um, acacia flower, and put it into um, water baths and soak flowers in for one day and then go get more flowers, put them in, take them out, put them in, essentially highly concentrating uh, like a liquid source with more and more sugar, as well as inoculating with their flowers to make a ceremonial alcoholic drink. Um, So obviously the idea that uh, Indigenous people didn't drink alcohol is also like, racist um to be to be to be completely clear yep. um, because they certainly did uh, and there's there's decent there's a decent amount of uh, fermentation um activity and knowledge uh here um pre-colonialization um and so this idea like i sort of found out about two years into our um our uh, tenure as a brewery um, like our sort of um our history that i've not history whatever our time as a brewery that this was a, a thing that happened before. And it actually really like emboldened me to keep going because I thought, well, like, you know, the lambic history itself, maybe, you know, something that a lot of craft brewers point to is like something that's you know so storied and old school. Like mm-hmm. that's really like 350 years old, like at best. Um, and, and uh, there are like, you know, histories of fermentations that are just so much deeper than lambic like no offense to lambic <laughs> um and and but but um you know this is really cool to me and so i don't know um the actual like physical doing of it is is really really quite simple it's just picking those flowers putting them into a sugar substrate you know somewhere where they have sugar to consume and then it just it just sort of magic magically starts fermenting um not all of them taste good uh, which is important. Yep. <laughs> uh, and and then uh, to, to to call those ones out. So essentially the ones that tasted good, we just kept working with. And I kept growing them up and growing them up. And then the, those those cultures became the start of um, this is like 2015, was growing up a lot of cultures from wattle and all different types of flowers. Um, and then I blended that with the saison duPont strain and that's what started the brewery in, in 16. So 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, we use the same culture. In 21, um, we had an infection, which is like a funny thing to think about for us because yeah, yeah. all our beers infected. <laughs> um, and uh, we scrapped the culture and started again. Oh, um, wow. And this time, this time we started again without any um, commercial commercial lab yeast. So the brewery since late like 2021, um, all of our beers have been made entirely with 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 yeast um, and bacteria forged from flowers. Um, we've had DNA sampling done on it there's six, 700 different organisms that are actively kind of going on there. But, you know, at the same time, like when, when we restarted the culture, we actually got a culture out of it. That's really, um, we, 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 we can turn, we can, by the way that we ferment it, the way that we manage it, we can really bring it into like a semi-clean world to make these like really Belgian, really rustic style beers. Like, we just bottled a beer to guard yesterday. Um, first beer to guard I've made. I uh, wanted to make one for, for forever. Um, and gosh, it's just just smelling it. It's, I couldn't get over it. Like off the bottling line, I kept smelling it. And it's I, I, like I still have yet to to figure out where it's putting me. Mm. But it's, it's definitely not in Australia. And it's putting me somewhere, somewhere in Belgium or somewhere in France that I've had it similar beer. Um, anyway, so I'm really excited about it. But be, this, 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 this culture that's entirely native Eastern bacteria. Um, forged uh, by us and fermented by us, it doesn't. It need not be f- sour or funky. And mm. honestly, like uh, this is the kind of ways that I I love the beer going is like we're making kind of like ish weird ish saison. I suppose we don't use the word saison, but again, because I'm weird terminology. <laughs> um, and then they, you know, they just kind of like take a left turn or a right turn somewhere and get a little bit funky if you edge them down. Uh, you know we will do that intentionally for some of our beers but um the 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 focus is not on oak or acid or Brett by any means and anyway we love that
0: uh, again sorry nick you you, have to say, you know, <laughs> no, like it like, like, just cool. go forever yeah, i love <laughs> it it's really really fascinating like so how how did you deal with that infection then like what i mean cuz that is quite a big thing for any brewery to deal with
1: yeah so it was pectinatus which is a really hairy one um think came from a ball valve. Um it was it was pretty shit time actually to be honest. Um so it was during a lockdown. Um and uh we just we just had this ferment that just was awful. Like it smelled so bad. Um really sulfur. And then it, it just it developed acetic acid within like a week and that was under CO2 conditions, which is like really bizarre because mm. generally you need Decent amount of alcohol, decent amount of oxygen exposure to do that, um, and so I was pretty dumbfounded. We dumped, we dumped close to a year's worth of beer in wow. in, six, in three months, um, and and we didn't brew anything for five months um, because we had to figure out where it started from. And so there were there are a few batches of beer that had it, but they hadn't kind of reared their head yet. And as the cult, as the infection grew, because we, we, we pitch, we continually pitch, like we, we just go from one beer to the next, one which is like risky. This happens. Um, but, um, they were at lower concentrations in those early beers. So we didn't see them early on. And then by the time that one of the primary ferments was, was really, really stuffed up by it. Um, we tasted back a few batches and went, Oh my God, it's everywhere. Um, so we weren't able to kind of rescue the culture from that time before, because it had been you know nearly a month and a half of brewing where we had this kind of like lurking thing in the background this pectinatis infection and so and also it would just became this like wholesale like clean out of like okay whatever that was we can't have that anymore so um we're going to start again and also like I've been working with you know wild yeast and bacteria and then at a commercial level for four and a half years and so it became it was almost a challenge to myself to say well why don't we just get rid of that dupont strain that i used maybe as a crutch when i started um because you know i put all the money i don't have um (laughs) into it and you know it was really worried like that was like probably a small insurance policy and now it's like well let's 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 go without that now you know we can do that and so we definitely used it as a bit of a is a bit of a you know a, a, a booking book ending
0: of one chapter and starting yep. another. Because um, I, uh, I, I guess the lead time, oh, it was. I guess the lead time with man. your beers. It's not like if a brewery that does clean beer has an infection. It's like right, yes. you know, that's a couple of batches gone. Yeah. Let's yeah. completely blitz everything with cleaning and then start again. Like that's you've you're working on a huge what twelve yeah. to. 18 24 month time scale for beers and then yeah, our, I, our, I presume you have got like barrels and fooders and things like yes so, yeah, yeah, which i would imagine definitely. aren't as easy to <laughs> to clean and sterilize right no no yeah.
1: no so we didn't actually end up um, like doing any of that to any oak like we were able to kind of i'm pretty against cleaning our oak like we might wash them out with hot water um, mm. but that's it um uh I, I i want the the wood to do its own thing. whole other story um but yeah, you're exactly right. So it worked. It worked in both ways for us because it worked in the positive because we had beers in bottle. You know, our beers usually bottle down for three to six months before they're released. So we were able to continue releasing beer in that time without brewing it. But it did mean that we were going to have a gap, you know, in, in the future. And so we had to plan for that um, uh, from a you know financial standpoint. And you know, in 2022, um, we. Uh, two of our staff members moved back to their respective places because they were having additional kids, and you know one back to America and one back to a different state here in New South Wales or sorry in Australia. And um, I didn't take on new staff essentially; just just decided instead of replacing that was like, well, you know, we're going to have a slowdown of sales, even though production was happening back mm. at the regular regular speed. So we just had to manage that from internally. Like I'm, I'm not going to lie, it was pretty shit um, because. You know we like you you want to do what you want to do like you want to do what you got out to do like i wanted to be brewing i wanted yeah. to be making beer um but i didn't know where the infection was for a long time and we had to like we were sending things away for sampling and testing a lot um but you can't just throw a sample at a uh, a machine and say What's wrong with this? Because mm. our beer, it would light up like a confetti cannon. It's like everything's <laughs> yeah. wrong with it. Like, like you, you had to go to it with a question. So it actually was a really big sensory thing for us time and time again to like be reading sensory. Now. And like the infection that we got is quite an uncommon one. Um, and so it took, it took quite a long time for us to like isolate what it even was so that we could even test for it. And then once that, once those test results coming through, to be like re- going back to be like where is this coming from, so we don't just do it all again. Um, so how did so how I, did, like, you I remember how
0: did, how did you find that out? How did you isolate it to a ball valve? Oh
1: uh, um, well, because uh, <laughs> three months of work and bashing our heads against the wall, um, because we we isolated the. Um, like the fact that it's pectinitis and we were able to confirm that's what it was. And then we had to keep brewing. This is like the sadistic part to figure out like right. where <laughs> like testing, testing at different parts of the brewing process. Okay. when it's, where is it there? When it's, this, is it there? When it's, this, is it there? And we I did this multiple times because the pectinitis infection doesn't show up, you know, in huge proportions for quite some time, like a few weeks. So you had to just like, we had to just keep going. Um, but knowing that we were going to dump this beer, um, and we tried to distill it. Uh, we tried to do things with it, but it was awful. I oh, God, it was awful. Um, so anyway, just, just a lot of, uh, trial and error really, Nick, like, it wasn't, um, wasn't super
0: glamorous. I would imagine the day that you found out it was this bull valve, <laughs> that was like, you bastard <laughs> yeah it was like
1: okay we're never using those again <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah um i mean that's that, again that's where we think it was because that's what we like we didn't it wasn't something we could like test directly for it was like we think that's where it's coming from because that makes the most sense based on the results that we have in terms of where it shows up and where it doesn't um all valves are you know um canonically unsanitary as well so it did make sense and it was kind of like a bit of a Shit, like you idiots. Like, why didn't I think of that before? Um, but at the same time, it could have been from somewhere else, you know. Yeah. Like I'm I'm not I'm not 100 percent saying that's where it was from, but um, you know,
0: that's that's yeah. where the arrows were pointing to. <laughs> my next question, although you may have answered it for yeah. the infection thing, but was gonna be what's the biggest no. thing you've learned about business from Wildflower?
1: Biggest thing I've learned about business? Mm. Oh my gosh. I don't think I know anything about business. <laughs> yeah. Um We've um we've just actually started a second business um at through the brewery, well at the brewery, um separate sort of ownership, but um we have a cheesery on site now. Wow. Um as well. And uh, so we're making cheese with um with uh milk grown out of well, milk from cows at a farm. It's taking our spent grain, and like it's it's it's
0: it's very cute, and it's um, the cheese is amazing. Sounds like there's some real terror um, in that cheese. To, yeah, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Uh,
1: well, the funny thing is, is that it should be called farmhouse cheese, but farmhouse cheese—the actual cheeses you made on the farm—like there's a definition of right. farmhouse cheese where it's like it's clear, like you can't make you're making artisan cheese if you're away from the farm. anyway. Which I kind of like. I bet there's a whole cheese Twitter out
0: there. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah, there (laughs) is.
1: Anyway, um, but what I was going to say is that, like, throughout this process, like, I've made so many of the same mistakes again. Mm. (laughs) Like, starting to say, like, oh, God, you'd think I'd learn from this. (laughs) Um, But I don't. I don't know. You know, I I actually find it quite interesting that people um, focus on growth in beer. It's just not where my head is at all. Mm. Um, obviously it's a very scalable product. So, you know, when you're doing Excel spreadsheets and you're going to make, you know, X million hectoliters or whatever, and you times that by your price per liter, like it becomes a big number. Um, and you're like, oh yeah, I want to go do that big number worth of sales. Um, but there's such a huge human cost to, to everything that we do. And yeah. beer is like a manufactured product that, yeah, you can get pretty highly automated, but you'd still want good people on the ground and retaining staff and looking after them and their needs, you know, inside work and outside. Um, I'd say, I'd say the biggest, I mean, again, I don't think I know it much about business, but I think from a, the biggest learning that I've had is that like, you are only as good as, as, as the people that you work with. Um, and, and if they are not feeling fulfilled in their work, or if they were there, the amount of hours that they're doing means that they're not able to pursue their own, um, interests outside of it. Like what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. Like, I don't, I, like, it's not, it's not sure you have a business, but you're not, I don't know who are you, who are you benefiting? You know, at any stage, like I'm so honored genuinely that the people who show up to our brew, and we have a small team, like there's about six, six of us full time. Um, i I, i'm date on a daily basis genuinely honored the people who come and show up for at work do because there's so many things they could be doing um and and yet yet they like they i don't know they see something in what we do that they think is worthwhile of their time uh and and i think the the only thing that i've the only thing that i've learned is like don't fuck that up. Don't fuck their <laughs> lives up. Yeah. Because, because you want an extra, I don't know, 5%. I don't know. Who, who knows what it is. I don't even know. I like, I don't do the numbers as you
0: can probably tell. <laughs> no. Well, I mean, that's, that, that's, that's absolutely huge. And I think it's like at the end of the day, no one lies in their deathbed and is like, I wish we'd not need another 10% of sales in the, business. Exactly, exactly. You know, like, <laughs> you know, it's, it's ultimately it comes down to people, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, so it's been absolutely incredible to have you on the podcast. How can people get hold of your beers, especially for us mere mortals on this side of the world?
1: <laughs> well, we're very fortunate to work um uh distant lands in in the UK. So they're an importer. Um and uh they did the handler beer um in the UK. So that would be the best way, but or that would be the best way if you if you're gonna be staying um yeah in in the british isles uh but the really the best way is to come down to sydney uh, i know it's not easy uh but you know it's just a short 24-hour flight in your beer
0: <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well i'm gonna book my ticket after this <laughs> what's the web address and how can people find out more
1: oh yeah um wildflower beer at all the things so dot com twitter instagram is what you probably use most most um uh, active on that um, much to my own dismay but that's where I am mostly so wildfire beer of awesome. cheers yeah. thank you so much Nick
0: well it's that time again at the bar for another week of the hot four podcast Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify and all other good platforms. Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers.